Hello, my praying people. I promised you that I would finish up this part three of our people who are, what is it, parenting people who are deconstructing their faith. And I just watched my time, and because I had gone so long, I saw that I didn't have much time left. And so I'm going to finish this episode up and go ahead and give you uh, the, the rest of what we had been talking about. So we were talking about how God will meet us in the hard place and how the best place to grieve um, what's going on with our kids is not with our kids. The best place to do the grieving is in the privacy of our spiritual bedroom. Because when we are just with the Lord, it moves us out of the line of fire. And it allows our, our sons and daughters to keep their deconstruction between them and God rather than between them and God and us. In fact, in John Marriott's book, remember I was telling you about the anatomy of deconversion? The one relationship that gets wrecked the most for kids that are deconverting from their faith is their relationship with their mothers. And... Um, when he started talking about that, I was like, well, yeah, of course it is. <laughs> you know. And I cannot tell you how difficult the last several years of my life have been with my kids. And as just, I've either walked on eggshells or I've tried really hard to maintain relationship with them. But because we've always been such an honest family, it's been really hard to stay away from this extremely significant subject. And then I have to confess that my own need to fix it has jumped into the way too instead of just leaving room for God to work but um, many times my kids have known that they're breaking my heart and that it's bothering me greatly and it makes them mad I'm sure it does impact them some because they love me and they hate that it's happening but it hasn't stopped them you know I, I, I think that what's so beautiful about our relationship with God is there's some kind of mystery in how we come to him but he woos us to himself and we have this marvelous miracle going on of God coming to us and us coming to him and then it, it coming together and I have to believe that that miracle moment or that miracle process is continuing and will happen for my children as well so the best reason to do your grieving in the privacy of your spiritual bedroom is because it moves you out of the line of fire and keeps their deconstruction between them and God um, rather than them and God and you and you and God and them and that's just too many their relationship with God needs to be intensely personal and it needs to be theirs and so what they had that they're deconverting from was probably a relationship with God that really mirrored yours. They were just living in the societal structure of your family and you took them to church so they were kids that went to church and they on their own really enjoyed parts of it but at the same time they might have been entertaining other things that you might not have been privy to even and um, while you just might have assumed that they would um, carry on with their Christian walk once they got to be adults um, you know they're not doing that and and I guess I'm saying that's between them and God not but them and you and so it's best to stay out of it and I wrote here in fact if your son or daughter is deconstructing their faith they had a deconstructible faith and I don't know about you but I want my kids to have an indestructible faith and I'm going to trust God to get them there 
because it's God who will get them there. I'm also going to remember that the path to an indestructible faith is really straight. My own faith journey has taken me to places that are, you know what, I think I'm repeating some of the things I've said before that are indestructible. Maybe you needed that for a review, so I'm going to pick up right here and say that the terrible reality is that you are way more eager to have a relationship with your adult child than they are to have a relationship with you. Did you catch that? You're way more eager to have a relationship with them than they are with you. I think that stinks, personally. But when you're distraught and undone, when you're angry and distant and worried and in despair, it's way easier for them to be too busy to call you and too preoccupied to spend time with you. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> and the way I see it is that if I take all my angst to the Lord, and maybe you have a spouse that you can share in this with, like they're grieving too, they are handling it like you're handling it, they have a relationship with the Lord that's strong, then maybe the two of you can find some solace in sharing your heart for that because you both have a very similar heart toward your children. And if the both of you can take it to the Lord, it's all that much more powerful because you do have spiritual authority as parents, even though your kids are adults. I think you still have great power in the spiritual realm when you pray, especially when you can pray together in oneness. But I think it's best to take your angst to the Lord, share it with your spouse if you can, and just uh, let your grief be processed there. So when I whine, I complain, I cry, I pitch my fit, and then I remember that God's the one who made them. They were His idea. I was faithful with them to the best of my ability. His desire is the same as mine for them to have a deeply personal, intimate relationship with Him. And when I think of all of these things, I cling to the promises that He's given me regarding them. Promises to watch over them and not to harm them, to do them good and to bring them back in due time. And I carry on. I carry on with the work that He's given me to do. I steward this pain by talking about it instead of hiding it under a pile of shame. That's why I'm doing these podcasts now. And I keep myself open and available to others who are in the same um, kind of place as me. That's I hope that you'll share this podcast with other people that you know are dealing with children that are deconstructing their faith. And my friends, I really try hard not to be jealous and or angry with the people whose kids are loving Jesus and serving the church. <laughs> Seriously, I love it. I love these kids that grow up. I really do. And in so many ways, I um, consider it an awesome privilege to get to have mentoring relationships with other people that are my children's ages that are loving the Lord and serving the church and God's been so faithful to Tom and me by sending many of these our way and um, but in regard to other people like my age whose kids are doing really good I, I try real hard not to be um, 
not to be jealous of them or not to be not to compare and say gum, you know they must have done a better job than I did because truth is somebody asked me one day what would you do different and there are several things I would do different and y'all are probably not the audience to tell that to because if you're listening to this podcast you're where I am you've already done what you've done I'll do a different podcast and share what I would have done different but um, I laughed and told Tom my husband that you know, when people say, what would you do different? If my kids had turned out great, I mean, you know, if they were going to seminary or they were attending church every Sunday and leading in the youth ministry or preschool ministry or whatever, and or if they were just going to church, you know, it, I would have been like, look at us. We did great. Like, and I would have thought of all the good things we did that made our kids turn out just right. <laughs> I said, so the only reason I would even look back and consider doing difference because they didn't turn out quite the way I thought they would. So what would I have done differently? And then I have to say, but at the time I didn't, I didn't know I was doing the best I knew how to do. So you know what? There's mercy and there's grace and there's amazing. And that's why I love prayer because I think that my prayers today can make a difference no matter what I did or didn't do yesterday. And my children would tell you that everything was great, that we did just perfect, that they are just choosing this. And that is the truth. That's what they're doing. They're choosing. So um, anyway, I try really hard not to, not to be occupied by those things. And if I can do all that, if I can carry on with the work God's given me to do, if I can steward the pain by talking about it instead of hiding it under a pile of shame, and if I can keep myself open and available to others who are in the same kind of place as me, and if I try really hard not to be jealous of other people, if I do all this, then I am free to simply love my kids. And what I've thought about lately, what I've thought about how to just love them, I thought about how I loved them when they were toddlers, you know? When they're toddlers and they're preschoolers, you're not expecting them to to embrace the faith. <laughs> you're just expecting them to stay down for their nap, you know? <laughs> and um, you expect them not to bite their friends. And so as long as my kids are not biting their friends <laughs> and, they're not, and, they're, and they're napping good, then I'm just going to love them. I'm just going to love them. I... I'm going to do my best to stay in connection with them, and I'm going to try really hard to remove any expectations and fear that I have regarding them. This is where we trust God and let them go. We just enjoy the person that they are, enjoy the things they are interested in. I mean, not the, you know, not the weird things like the crystals and the spells and all that. But the good things, like the cooking and the, and the music and the art, you know, whatever that is, we can enjoy, we can find things that we can enjoy with them. We can ask God to give us grace on top of grace to navigate their attempts to finagle us into a situation where we have to compromise our faith. And we can lovingly stay put where the boundaries are. And my friends, you never go wrong loving your children generously. It's not your job to convert them as much as you would like to. It's not even your job to parent them any, anymore. I mean, you are still their parent, but it's not on you. Like, whether they, um, whether they break the law or not, that's not your job to have to worry about. That's theirs to live with. 
um, whether they are unhealthy or healthy, it's not on you. They're going to have to live with the consequences of that. That's a, that's what it means to be an individual. We all are that. And so you kind of let yourself off the hook that you don't have to do that anymore. Um, it's not fair for them to try to force you into a place where you deny your faith. Um, if It's not your job to convert them, but it's also not right for them to try to force you or, or for them to vent about what's so wrong with your faith. I, I think that we all ought to be wise enough to be able to defend our faith and um, go searching if they're starting to bring up questions. I think I shared in one of these episodes how my daughter said, well, it was at the council of da-da-da-da that, that they decided to do da-da-da-da. Well, I looked it up, and it wasn't that council at all, you know. And so you can do that kind of thing if you have to. But they will, your kids will respect your boundaries. And when you get rid of your fear and you replace it with a confident hope that God will bring a change that you are willing to live without, then you're going to make a bigger impact on your child than anything driven by fear and frustration and pain and sorrow could ever do. Let me, let me say that again. Your kids are going to respect your boundaries when you get rid of your fear and replace it with confident hope that God will bring a change you are willing to live without. That's it, my friend. The best way to approach parenting people who are deconstructing their faith is to have confident hope that God will bring about a change that you are willing to live without. Replace your fear and your angst with confident hope that God will bring a change you're willing to live without. Lord, am I willing to live without the change that I'm longing to see? I am. I am because I have confident hope that that change will come. And my friends, that hope is not anchored only in my mother heart, even though it is anchored there. What other kind of heart am I supposed to have for my kids? But it's also anchored in the Word of God. And this is where I love God's Word. And um, I have scripture. I think I've mentioned to y'all before that I use post-it note warfare. I have scripture on post-it notes that are hanging all over my kitchen. And I keep them there so that I will read these verses often while I'm going about. And let me read a few of them for you. And I will list these also in a blog post to follow up this podcast. But um, here's one. Isaiah 61 verse 3. Give me beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. O Lord, give us beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Isaiah 61, 3. How about this one? My eyes will watch over them for their good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will bring them, I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them 
and not uproot them. I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Jeremiah 24, 6 and 7. You want to hear it again? My eyes will watch over them for their good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God for they will return to me with all their heart. Jeremiah 24, 6 and 7. And then here's the last one I'll read to you. This is what the Lord says. Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. For your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return from the land of the enemy. So there is hope for your future, declares the Lord. Your children will return to their own land. And that's Jeremiah 31, 16 and through 17. So my friends, I'm telling you that we can replace our fear and our angst with confident hope that God will bring a change that we are actually willing to live without because we know it's coming. There's no stopping the change that God will bring. He's given us his word. Now, my advice to you about the word of God is to stay in the word. Stay in the word on a daily basis. Let the word get into you so that then God will be able to do what he did for me while I was reading this book. <laughs> You remember at the beginning of this uh, part three, when my time almost ran out on the A part, I shared with you that I was reading a book on Kindle called The Anatomy of Deconstruction. And um, while I was reading it, I, I looked up at the clock to see what time it was because we were getting ready to um, go to the airport from a trip that we took after Christmas. And we're just kind of just hanging around waiting for it to be time to go. And I looked up at the clock and it was 4.44. Well, uh, several years ago, we had a pastor on staff that said that he would always wake up at 3.33 a.m. And when he woke up at 3.33, he always thought of Jeremiah 33.3. Well, Jeremiah 33.3 says, um, You will call and I will answer you and tell you great and mighty things that you do not know. And so, Pastor Eric would say, I would wake up and I would think about that. So, I would say to the Lord, Lord, tell me the great and mighty things that I do not know. And he would just spend that time praying, which I thought was really cool. So, when I looked at the clock that day while I was reading this anatomy of deconversion, and, you know, it's heavy stuff. It's talking about these people that have deconverted their faith. They never plan to go back ever. And um, it was so describing my kids and I thought this is depressing even though this guy is trying to help us it's very depressing to me but I looked up it was 444 and so I thought well I wonder if I could find me a verse that has the 444 in it and so I started just poking around looking well I found Isaiah 44 verse 4 and I'm going to read that to you Isaiah 44 verse 4 says they will spring up like grass in a meadow like poplar trees by flowing streams and I recognize that verse right off because here's the deal. And this is why I'm telling you being in the Word on a regular basis pays off. 
I recognize that verse because several years ago I had been praying for my children and um, you know just normal reading through the Bible and praying and I came across Isaiah 44 1 through like um, 5 and so let me read you the whole passage of Scripture and listen because you're going to hear distinctly three different names that are all talking about Israel but he's calling them by three different names and I happen to have three different children I'm just explaining to you how God encourages my heart and how he speaks to me in his word. And so here's what it says. But now listen, Jacob, my servant. That's name number one, Jacob, my servant. Israel, whom I have chosen. That's name number two. This is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. Do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant. That's using the same name again. Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. That's the third name. So Jacob, Israel, and Jeshurun. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Yes! <laughs> These are my children, my three. He called three names. He's talking about what he's going to do. He's pour his spirit on my offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. Isaiah 44, 4, the verse that God took me to the other day. Some will say, okay, and listen, this is the promise. Tom and I have always prayed three for three for our kids. Everything we've ever done in a life, all we've ever known, all we've ever wanted, deep down, if you asked him or me, you put a gun to our head, not that you'd have to do that, that's kind of dramatic, but if you were to say, what do y'all really want out of life? Tom and I have had the privilege of growing a church from eight to well over 2,000 that's going to be solid and going on in the kingdom until Jesus returns, going to keep on baptizing people and lead them in the ministry and do it, making a difference in our community. We've been blessed to be able to do that. I have written 18, I think 19 books and have them published, some by major publishers, and blessed by having a ministry that has carried me literally all over the world. We have had the privilege of doing so many things. But the one thing, the one thing, if you squeeze us tight and say, what do you want more than anything, is to have three for three. God bless us with three beautiful, amazing, incredible kids. And all we've ever wanted is for all three of them to wholeheartedly embrace faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and to have an intimate relationship with him and to live to the glory of God to fulfill the good work that he planned beforehand for them to do. That's all we've ever wanted. And so now I'm going to read to you verse 5 and listen and see if you don't hear him talk specifically about three different, three distinctly different ways people will receive him. So first of all, he says, some will say, I belong to the Lord. Number one. Number two, others will call themselves by the name of Jacob. And then number three, still others will write on their hand the Lord's and will take the name Israel. And several years back, my friends, the Lord gave me that passage of scripture, Isaiah 44, 1 through 5, to tell me that I am giving you my word that you're going to have three for three. And um, the other day, when I was reading this book about deconstructing in the middle of this podcast series of sharing with you this very painful journey that you and I are both in, or if you're not in it, just share it with whoever you know who is, because kids are deconstructing left and right, and I know there are parents like us that are being left in the wake. And here I am reading it, I'm trying to order my thoughts, I'm trying to get ready for this podcast, and the Lord takes me to Isaiah 44.4, and he reminds me. And we're going to have three for three. Isn't he good like that? 
You see, this is why. This is why that I can replace my fear and my angst with confident hope that God will bring the change that I am longing for, but that I'm also willing to live without. And in my willingness to live without it, I'm going to serve Him. I'm going to clean up my tears and I'm going to dance instead of dragging about. And I'm going to encourage others and we're going to laugh and we're going to enjoy life. <laughs> and we're going to see the goodness of the Lord while we're in the land of the living. God's good. He's good in this. And He will show us the way. I'm sure this isn't all I've got to say about it, but it's all I've got to say right now. So I think this wraps up pretty well our uh, three-part series, the last part having to be part A and part B, on parenting people that are deconstructing their faith. I will be blogging, so please go over to leannemccoy.com. That's L-E-I-G-H-A-N-N-M-C-C-O-Y.com. Go over to that part of my website and look for the blogs that I'm going to write where I'm going to give you links to some of these people that I've quoted, these verses that I've quoted, and that kind of thing. And then also, I want to mention again uh, a book, two books really, I think that you'll enjoy. One is the one I spoke about in um, the podcast prior to this one, A Woman's Guide to Hearing God's Voice. Uh, it's just a great book that carries you through the season of life when you feel like your prayers aren't being heard or something's going on in life that is breaking your heart. A uh, Woman's Guide to Hearing God's Voice is a great um, book for you to read during that season. And then I also have a book called Spiritual Warfare for Your Family. And in Spiritual Warfare for Your Family, you're going to learn how to pray um, with with great ability to have victory and success on the spiritual battlefield. So Spiritual Warfare for Your Family will tell you all about how to pray uh, for victories as a parent. It's really written for parents in regards to their children. And then the one other resource I want to mention to you is the study that I did. It's an online course. It's a lot of fun. It's interactive. It's got some video in it. And I did this video with my dear friend Jennifer Kennedy Dean. Jennifer Kennedy Dean has gone on to her heavenly home and I know that she's so excited to be reconnected with her husband who uh, left this earth several years before she did and she certainly stewarded that pain very well and continued in a powerful ministry. But Jennifer Kennedy Dean uh, came over to my home and we filmed uh, an online course for her study called, uh, uh, what's it called? Praying for the Lost. And it is such rich teaching on how to pray for the lost. And she relates our, and, and that's how we have to pray for our children. They're, they're lost right now. And she's talking about praying for those that are blind, that their eyes will be open. She does an excellent job of it. And you'll enjoy the interaction between she and me. And you'll get to see a peek into my home, albeit prior to a remodel that I had this year. So maybe if y'all are really lucky, I'll do another online study and film it in my home. You can see my remodel. <laughs> anyway, not that you're that interested in that, but I got to quit. Woo! I just, um, I, I love you guys. Uh, I really do. And I, I care. I know that um, 
I know what it feels like. I'm in the trenches right here with you. I'm not some kind of super, super spiritual hero that has figured out how to float through life without any heart, heart ache. But I am a woman of prayer who trusts that God hears and answers us when we pray. And no matter what comes our way, we are going to have victory in it. We stake our claim and we will not be defeated. And I totally believe that. And um, I want to encourage you to share, especially share this series of podcasts with anybody you know whose hearts are breaking because their kids' faith is deconstructing. And um, I want to wrap this up by praying for those kids, those kids of ours. Father, thank you so very much for being faithful to, to do what I asked you to do at the beginning of the podcast, um, not just now, but the one prior to this, because i be real honest in my prayer, I, you know that I found I recorded one right after the other. Lord, thank you for um, taking what was in my head and my heart and, and using the words of my mouth to put it out there. God, I'm praying that you would do the supernatural work of taking these words and getting it to the right people, to the moms especially, to the dads too, but to the moms whose hearts are breaking over the deconstruction of the faith of their children. And Lord, I think about these babies that were dedicated to you. I think about these mamas who had these babies that are holding them in their arms and who are lovingly just giving them back to you and trusting you with them. And Lord, I pray for each one of them. I pray that um, the good that was poured into them as preschoolers and children, the truth that has been taught to them will continue to... Um, to make itself known and heard inside of their minds and their hearts. Father, I pray that no matter what schemes the enemy is using against them, those things will vaporize and they will vanish like dust. And that all of the strongholds seemingly that the enemy has in the hearts and the minds of our children will literally be used to bring them back to such a rock-solid faith that they each are forces to be reckoned with as they go out to advance the kingdom into the very worlds that they are being um, a part of right now. Father, I'm asking for messengers with bold faith to bump up next to them. Let them move next door. Let them be across the street. Let them uh, befriend them at the at the supermarkets or, or on the trails or wherever it is that they are in the parks. Father, I ask that um, wherever our children go, they will bump into people who love you and who are excited about their life in you and who have so much peace and so much joy and so much enthusiasm that it is extremely attractive to our children. Lord, I'm inviting you to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to bring our children back to Jesus. And God, let us as parents have the wisdom to see if whatever it takes is something seemingly bad, Lord, remind us that it is for the better good. And God, we know that in your tender mercy, whatever it takes might very well be something sweet and wonderful. And so, Lord, if that is it, let us see that as well. Father, I also pray for these moms and these dads to be able to love their children out of the confident hope 
that you are going to bring about the change that you have promised. And we're also going to uh, have that hope just hooked arm in arm with a willingness to walk with you, to enjoy you, to share you, to be on mission with you, even in the midst of what we're wanting not happening. And Lord, we can do that because we know that we can trust you. We can bank on you. We can um, rest in your perfect wisdom and your perfect love. You are so powerful. More powerful than any of these other gods. Lord, we invite you to demonstrate your glory in our lives and the lives of our children and Lord to advance the kingdom so that others will understand who you are and how great your love is for them. Thank you God. Thank you God. Thank you that you have chosen us to walk this particular journey and that you have given us fellowship with one another. Be glorified in our lives. We yield ourselves to you. We invite you to use us in whatever way that you see fit to bring about the redemption and the beautiful salvation of our children. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I look forward to being um, with you next time. I'm not sure right now what I'm going to talk about, but I'm sure it'll be something good. <laughs> we'll work on getting some more um, guests on our podcast as well. So anyway, please do share these uh, four podcasts with friends you know who may be dealing with um, children that are deconstructing their faith. Take care, my praying people. So here we are in part three of my three-part series that I have called Parenting People Who Are Deconstructing Their Faith. And when I started out, I thought I would get all three of these podcasts um, recorded during the month of December, and so I would deliver them to you as a Christmas gift. But as it turned out, I got two of my three uh, episodes of the three-part series recorded in December prior to Christmas, and then have been away for the past couple of weeks celebrating Christmas with my family and um, just and with friends and just enjoying the holidays. I hope that you've been enjoying the holidays too. Here in Middle Tennessee today, it's January the 5th when I'm recording this, we had um, four between four and five inches of snow. And so it's been absolutely beautiful. I love a snow day. I... Um, I don't know why I love a snow day. Maybe because it's unexpected. Maybe because um, everybody is just given a time out, but not for doing something bad. It's like just a gift. Like, here, have an extra day. A day where nothing else really matters, except that you have some fun in the snow. So it's been a great day. It's beautiful. Uh, we did get snow and not slush this time. And it's going to be very pretty tomorrow, too, I think. But all of this snow is going to get really, really frozen. So it'll get a little slippier. And looks like the kids are going to get to be out of school both today, which is a Thursday. Did I say it was the 5th? Is it the 5th or is it the 6th? I have gotten all confused with my dates. 
But anyway, they're going to be out of school Thursday and Friday of this week. And then on Saturday, it's going to warm back up like it typically does in Tennessee. We we get cold, and then we get warm, and then we get cold, and then we get warm. And it's like a never-ending yo-yo during the winter in Tennessee. <laughs> I hope you all are having a great uh, beginning to your new year. And... Um, I'm looking forward to wrapping up this series, this little three-part series of podcasts that I'm doing. Now, this is not to say that I won't pop in periodically and talk some more about this subject because I tend to teach out of what's going on in my world. And because I do have um, several children that are in the process of deconstructing their faith or that have um, walked away from their faith during this particular season of their lives, I uh, am, is what I'm dealing with. It's where my spiritual journey has taken me. It's where God has me. And I tend to speak and teach out of those places. So I'm sure that this subject won't be left behind. But um, we'll move on to some other greater things like prayer and how we know that God always answers and how we can um, take hold of his promises and some, so many great things that we can talk about regarding prayer as we move into this new year in 2022. But I want to begin this third of our three-part series kind of wrapping up that what we've been talking about and share with you that I found a really good book this past week. I've been reading it on my Kindle, and it's called The Anatomy of Deconversion by John Marriott. And I'll put that, if I can figure out how, I'll put it in our show notes. If not, I will for sure blog and give these resources that I'm going to be quoting from during this podcast right now. And um, I will also continue to blog about these things along the way, too. So if you're interested in what I'm saying on the podcasts and you want to be in our connecting community where we're continuing these conversations with each other, do sign up for my emails. You can sign up on my website at leannemccoy.com, and it's L-E-I-G-H-A-N-N-M-C-C-O-I.com. Or um, you could also sign up for our emails on the prayerclinic.com website. I've got two websites out there. And on both of those, I do some blogging. And so on the Leanne McCoy website, I do more personal uh, subject type blogging. And then on the prayer clinic website, I do more blogging specifically targeted toward uh, church prayer leaders because that's what the prayer clinic ministry is all about. It's all about... Uh, delivering resources, connecting with, and uh, helping you grow your prayer ministry in your church. Because my friends, you know that I believe that when we pray, God works. When we work, we work. And when we pray, God works. And um, God is working. And He's wanting to do even more in our lives. And um, as we continue to pray, we're going to continue experiencing the power of God. So let me pray for us right now as we begin this third of the three-part series in um, parenting people who are deconstructing their faith. Lord, we acknowledge that you alone are God, that you sit on your throne high and lifted up. You never wring your hands. You never jump up out of your throne and say, oh my goodness, I didn't see that coming. You never lay your head back and, and weep out of despair. But you do often, I believe, allow tears of compassion to flow down your beautiful face as you watch us bumble about here on earth, 
so disconnected from the power source that you have through us through our connectivity with you and the feeling that you give us of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, even right now, as we enter into this time in this podcast, we invite you to fill our mind and our heart with your spirit so that you would take what's being said, these words that are being transmitted from the inside of me and to the outside of me and to this uh, process of podcasting to the inside of, of these precious people who are listening. And, Lord, would you let let the words um, just produce healing and wholeness and strengthening and power in us so that we can um, walk in the fullness of the kingdom of love that you've given us, that you've provided for us to walk in, especially as we're um, interacting and processing and relating to our children whom we love so very much. God, let us never forget that they were your idea before they were ours, that you love them more than we could ever imagine, and that you can go where we cannot. And so, Lord, as we um, wrap up this study, we invite you to to just um, put our hearts and our minds at ease as we lean heavily into you and watch and see and celebrate what only you can do. I just give you my mind, my my heart, my mouth, and ask that you would let whatever comes out be glorifying to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this great book that I found called The Anatomy of Deconversion by John Marriott defines the experience of conversion very, very well. Because I think before we talk about how our kids are deconverting, you know, they're going through a process of deconversion, we have to um, have a good working definition of what conversion is. What does it really mean to know Jesus personally and to have a relationship with him? And this was John Marriott's definition of conversion. Biblically speaking, a Christian is a person who has experienced an ontological alteration at the most profound level of their being due to their belief in Christ, which in turn has brought them into a spiritual union with God. The Bible describes such persons as being reconciled with God, justified before God, redeemed by God, sanctified by God, and indwelt by the very Spirit of God. Isn't that great? This biblical definition of conversion is uh, as you or I or our children or whomever, an individual having an ontological alteration at the most profound level of their being. Now, honey, that is some big words that just say a deep soul settling change. And um, you know how that happened to you. And I know how that happened to me. And we know that it was profound. And that as a part of it being so profound, it made all the difference in the world in our lives. And that's why we're still sitting right here today listening to a podcast as parents of people who are deconstructing their faith. and Because we care very much about our own relationship with the Lord and with our children's relationships with the Lord. When I was 11 years old, I was at a girls' camp in the North Georgia mountains, 
and we were celebrating Christmas in July. We even hung our little tube socks at the foot of our bunk beds and stuffed treats in it for from our little secret angels. We all had a secret a secret camper that was that we were supposed to be a secret angel for throughout the week. <laughs> and and we would, you know, make something in the craft hall or find something or buy them something at the snack shop or whatever and leave these little gifts for our for our little camper friend. And it was that week during the celebration of Christmas in July that a missionary was singing Oh Holy Night at our dinner in the kitchen right there in the summer. And while he was singing, it's a long song, you know, Oh Holy Night is. And while he was singing, this, this change happened in me, this ontological alteration at the most profound level of my being began to happen to me. Because my imagination, my mind, my heart, whatever was deep in me, began to take a journey with a voice of the Lord who said to me, Leanne, if you had been the only one in all of the world who needed saving, I would have come for you. And he did it more with pictures than with words because at first I saw the baby Jesus in the manger. And I was imagining as, he, as the guy was singing the song that I was sitting there at the manger and I was looking at the baby and that the baby himself just turned and looked at me and his eyes locked with mine. And all I saw coming out of this little bitty baby was pure love. Just fully accepting, all-encompassing everything I could have ever longed for was in the gaze that I experienced in my imagination while the guy was singing, Oh Holy Night. And then almost immediately when I felt the feeling of that gaze of love from that baby, I saw those same eyes on a, on a cross. And I promise you, as I tell it again today to you on this podcast, it was almost like I was really there because I felt the, the stormy weather and the, and the wetness of the air and the breeze and the and the crowd and the tension of what was going on. And there I was at the foot of a Roman crucifixion and looking up at the eyes of Jesus who was stretched out, literally paying the price for sin, him dying in my place so that the righteousness of God could be satisfied and so there would no longer be a divide between me and my heavenly father. And those same eyes were looking down at me and saying, Leanne, if you had been the only one that ever needed a savior, I would do this. I did do this for you. And I remember just being so overwhelmed at that moment when Jesus himself, through his eyes, were looking at me and inviting me into a personal relationship with him. And I already knew that all I had to do was just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I want you to take me to heaven when I die. And whatever that means here on earth that I knew at 11 years old. And I want to be right with you. And to my surprise, it was about so much more than just um, getting to heaven when I died. Immediately what came over me was this profound sense of spiritual union with God. I was reconciled with the Lord God Almighty. I, I experienced the justification that Jesus had freely handed to me. And I was cleansed by the power of His blood. And I believe at that very moment at 11 years old in the cafeteria in the North Georgia mountains, the Holy Spirit of the Almighty God took up residence in me. And um, at 11 years old, to the best of my understanding, 
that began my journey with the Lord. It was a journey of getting acquainted with one another, of understanding who he is, not just from the word, from the Bible, from the book, and from the teachers in the classes that I went to, but an understanding from the inside of me, this very real presence that I could carry on a conversation with. This person who was with me all the time, even when I was alone, I wasn't alone because I always had him with me. And um, it was good. It was really, really good. And um, I want to read to you something that was in the book. I'm going to read a couple of quotes out of this book about deconversion. And the first one, pardon me while I figure out what page it's on. Because I know what page it's on. I just got to find it. Because um, I put it in my notes. So here on page um, 34. In my Kindle version of the book. I guess that's the same as the written version. I'm not sure. But listen to this. Um, what, what John the Baptist said. About the fruit of repentance. The fruit of repentance. Spoken of by John the Baptist is the action of bringing oneself into alignment with the rule and reign of God in one's life. Of course, no one does so perfectly, but without the rule and reign of God being manifest to some degree, it's highly questionable whether an individual is a Christian, biblically speaking. And so, even at 11 years old, when I was what I would call saved, I knew that the first thing, that a part of being saved wasn't just that God was coming to save me from myself and to save me from sin, take me heaven with a die, but he was coming to rule because he was God and that was his rightful place. So he was coming to rule in my life, which meant that when I was inviting him into my heart because he was bringing with him salvation, I was also submitting myself to his rule and his reign rather than mine. And you know, as I'm saying this out loud right now, in my day when I was a kid and when I was growing up, that wasn't a controversial thing. You know, to give over lordship of your life, to give over rulership, it was, it was actually very attractive. Because I wouldn't have to be in the driver's seat anymore. You know, like the country song, Jesus Take the Wheel. It was a, it was a welcome exchange. And um, even to those who didn't attend church... They did understand to some degree that, that Christian kids had something they didn't have. They, they had a little more confidence, a little more pep in their step, a little more security because they had somebody else that was calling the shots in their lives. Of course, you know, we didn't all walk the straight and narrow every single day and sometimes we kind of ruined our testimony. But that was like a piece of that world. Now it seems in our world today to give somebody else rule of our lives is to relinquish um, is to relinquish authority, but it's also like to relinquish a part of our personhood, because there's such a subtlety in our culture today that makes one want to be all they can be. Like I am, I am the one, I am the power, uh, and and some some people. In fact, if you have children that are spiritual in their deconversion, they're not just replacing what Christianity was to them with nothing. They're replacing it with a, a divine that. Uh, flows in and through the atmosphere and the earth and the plants and the animals and in and through us. And it's a, divi it's a divinity that lets me be Lord of me. 
in a way, though, that's very compassionate and friendly and, and uh, uh, let's see, how do you say, generous toward others. It has a very high regard for other people, too. In some ways, very much mimicking Christianity, but not quite. Um, but definitely not receiving the message of, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. In fact, that is the part of the message that is extremely... Um, some that are deconverting their faith get very hostile toward that. Like, that was the kicker. Like, how dare you tell me that I was a sinner because I am this divinely amazing and beautiful spirit creature that dwells in this world. And it can get even more weird than that. And I don't know what's going on with your kid, but I know what's going on with mine, and it can get very strange. But anyway, this fruit of repentance is... Um, coming into alignment with the rule and the reign of God in our lives. And um, the writer of this book is saying, perhaps not all the people that are deconverting ever really understood what that meant. And and I don't know whether they did or not. I mean, I certainly, my kids, they, they certainly did go through the motions. And, and maybe they were what could be called a sociological Christian. But, um, you know, they they didn't seem to be opposed to giving over leadership of their lives to the Lord. Um, and what I would say at this point in the conversation, it's not really about whether your child was ever a, a converted Christian or whether they were just going through the motions. It's more about the fact that they've chosen to walk away from their faith. And what I've got here is only God knows what's happening in someone's heart. And we we are not we don't even have to figure that out. I mean, mom and dad, take that off your shoulders. You don't have to figure that out. That's not between you and them and God. That's just between God and them. And God knows. He's not trying to figure out what's going on in the heart of your child. He knows. He knows what's going on in their heart. Um, and I, I did make the point that many of our children might have been sociological Christians as opposed to biblical Christians. They were immersed in the culture of Christianity, and so it was very natural that they would choose to be a part of it. And, um, you know, we can't know whether they were merely going through the motions or whether they were truly saved when they made their decisions and were baptized only God knows. But if your son or daughter or both of them have chosen to deconvert, I think we can safely say that if their faith no longer works for them, then it's not the faith that works. So, if your son or daughter had embraced a faith that could be deconverted, then that faith needs to deconvert. Which means, in a broader sense, if you're very interested in your child, which I know you are, we are very interested in our children um, knowing the Lord intimately and personally and being yielded to His Lordship in our lives. We are very interested in their salvation. We're very interested in their being connected to the kingdom of God. And if what they had was not that, and it had to not be that for them to be able to, to leave it, or at least it wasn't strong enough, as strong as what mine is, or as strong as what it can be, then 
the fact that they're deconverting is actually progress toward being a genuine convert, of being a, a real child of God. Are you following with me? What I'm saying is, if they were just going through the motions, or if they were just doing it because they were your kid, or they were just doing it because that was the world that they were in, and it wasn't because they really had genuinely made a commitment to the Lord God Almighty, then when they deconvert, they're really closer to getting to know God for themselves because they're stepping away from that. You don't want your child to live their whole entire life with only a sociological Christianity. That's all I'm saying. And so, my friends, I'm trying to say to you that if your child is deconverting, you can be certain they're moving closer to the Lord, not further from Him, than they were when you didn't know what was going on. I hope that makes sense. Now, if your child was genuinely a believer, and only God knows, remember, only God knows, and if they really made a commitment to the Lord in their heart as genuinely as they knew how to do, and God... <laughs> It's the knower of these things. I certainly am not. How many times have my kids surprised me? I mean, how many times have they surprised me in good ways? And how many times have they surprised me in terrible, horrible ways? You know? I don't know. I don't know even what I think I know. I don't know anything most of the time. But God knows everything. And so God knows. And so if they genuinely are a child of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, He is Lord, they are His child, and they somehow during this season have chosen to steer away from that, then that too is not a terrible thing. Because whatever it is that's caused them from to steer away will be used by God to bring them back to an even stronger place with Him. He will continue to work with them from the inside while, while um, we're praying from the outside. And, and I think what I want to get across maybe in this, our third of these three podcast is our main role is to pray is to is to pray not to not to try to convince not to try to talk about not to try to be the voice not anything else but just to pray and you guys know that I'm all about prayer y'all know that I believe that God answers us when we pray and it's the most powerful thing we can do it's the secret weapon that they can't stand did I tell y'all already in this series that there was a night when my son was sitting in the room where I pray and he said, I don't want you to do this in here. And I said, well, I'm going to keep doing it. He's like, no, I'm serious. It's messing me up. I said, well, you're going to have to be messed up because I'm going to keep praying. <laughs> there was another night that he came on into that room. People just gravitate to my praying room. And um, he brought two friends with him. And both of these friends come from Christian homes. And they are, none of them are, are walking in their faith in a way that looks like it from the outside. <laughs> and they're sitting there, and one of them said, this is a spiritual room. I sense the spiritual power in this room. And my son said, well, of course you do. This is where my mom has her quiet time. This is where she prays. And they all just kind of smiled. And, and this girl said, well, well I, I feel it. I feel the power of that in this room. Isn't that cool? So I'm telling you guys, we've got the ace. You know, when I was young, and I know I'm rambling right now, but I'm, I'm running with it. It's my podcast. I can do this, right? <laughs> when, I was, when I was younger, when Tom and I first married, we played a lot of Rook. That's a card game. And the way we played Rook, the McCoy way of playing Rook, I didn't even know the game until I married the McCoys. The McCoy way of playing Rook was to play with a Rook and a Red One. 
And most people would tell us, well, that's no, no longer the game of Rook. It's the game of Red 1. Because a game of taking bids and the highest card in the deck is the Rook until you're playing Red 1, and then the Red 1 is higher than the Rook. It can take the Rook. And um, what I'm telling you, my friends, is because we have right standing with the Lord God Almighty that was provided to us through the blood of Jesus Christ. We get to march into the very throne room of God. You understand, the maker and holder togetherer of the universe is at our, is allowed us to have audience with Him. We can go right into the throne room and we can lay our petitions before Him and we can know that He hears us and that He's going to respond to all of the things that we are burdened and that we're praying for out of His perfect wisdom, perfect knowledge, perfect love perfect everything and God knows you love that kid so the very best thing we can do for our children that are deconstructing in our their faith is to pray for them and to pray for them with a confident spirit that to the God that when we pray to God that we're doing the most powerful thing and that God's got it taken care of. You know what comes to my mind? What comes to my mind is Jesus' very first public miracle. When they were at the wedding, remember? And Jesus was there with his mother and with, a, with some of his disciples. Maybe all of them, I don't know. i got to go look it up. Um, and in, in that story, that the people had run out of wine. And it was going to be a huge social faux pas, like a, a huge disaster and an embarrassment for this family. That's all it was. And a social humiliation. And so Mary, who loved these people, came to Jesus, her son, who she knew what he was capable of, and she knew who he was. And she had the kind of relationship with him that she could ask him to do anything. I love it. I love the intimacy of that relationship. And she comes to him, and what does she say? She says, Jesus, I've got no wine. And what does Jesus say? He says, it's not my time yet. It's not time yet. And then what does she say? She doesn't beg him. She doesn't stand there and try to convince him of anything otherwise. She merely goes to the service and just do whatever it is that he says for you to do. And here's the deal, my good mom and dad. I think I probably got a lot of mamas listening to me. And we'll talk more about how we have to grieve in a minute. But when I come to the Lord God Almighty, pleading on behalf of my children, and even if His response to me and all the evidence around me is, it's not time yet, I want to have the kind of confidence in His power and His love that His mother had, and I want to be able to say to myself, and to anybody else who needs to hear it, you know what? We're just going to go with whatever Jesus decides to do. Whatever he decides to do, we're going to do. And for the most part, for me, right now in my life, and this has been going on for several years. I didn't just start talking about this uh, right now. It's, it's what I've been dealing with for a couple of years while I've not been writing books. And um, But what I want to say to myself and to my ministry and everything else is, I'm just going to do whatever Jesus tells me to do now. Whatever he tells me to do and whatever he wants me to be about and wherever he wants my emotional energy to go, that's where it's going to go. And, and by doing that, I'm stewarding this pain very well because I'm choosing to not let what he's not doing 
not let that hinder my confidence in him or my love for him or my trust in him I'm just gonna carry on we're gonna carry on because we all have one life to live and we only have so much time we got to be about the work that God's called us to do and I love that she just walked away it's like whatever he's gonna do it's gonna be okay and that's the way that I would like to be when I'm praying for my children who have deconstructed their faith but um, I said here in my notes, in other words, the most loving and cooperating with the Holy Spirit thing we can do is, and this is what I wanted to say about their deconversion, the most loving and cooperating with the Holy Spirit thing that we can do is to compassionately allow our children to deconvert. We can stop arguing with them. We can stop being aggravated with them. We can quit wringing our hands and being worried about them. And instead, we can simply love them, continue to have fellowship with them if they will allow us to, and be patient as their deconversion carries them where it, where it goes. Um, and then I have here in my notes to read further in my book for you on page 38. So let me see if I can find that again. It keeps going back to the page I was actually on, which I'm almost done with this book. You know how on Kindle they'll tell you how much percentage you've read? I've read like 91% now. So I highly recommend it. And I will try to figure out how I can put this in the notes, this book, so that you can have it. John Marriott, The Anatomy of Deconversion. So page 38, hang on, I'll get there one second. There's probably a way to get there quicker, but you know what? It's impressive to me that I can record this podcast and look at this Kindle. At the same time, it might not impress you, but it does me. Okay, I'm back to almost there. So here we go. Page 38 says this. I hope it's a good quote once I get there. Here's good. This is good. I don't, um, I'm not exactly sure. I wrote the wrong page down after all of that. Here it is. No, I didn't. I was just, what in the world? I wasn't seeing the right page. Oh, would you know that my book on Kindle has three page 38s? Do they all do that? Oh, they do, because I guess it's the pages. Okay, never mind. I'm so sorry. All right. This is the quote I want you to hear. It is on one of my pages of 38. Indeed, for such individuals, the loving thing to do is to allow them to deconvert. I realize that may sound harsh and unloving, but if Jesus says that knowing the truth sets one free, then if, in their experience with Christ, they were not set free, we should conclude that they never really experienced the truth. In that case, whatever it was that they were converted to was not biblical Christianity, but some admixture of dead religion and biblical truth. If there is any hope of such individuals ever coming to a knowledge of the truth, they must first 
leave their pseudo-Christianity behind. As C.S. Lewis said, if you have taken a wrong turning, then to go forward does not get you any nearer. If you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. Guys, that was worth finding. So what the writer is saying here is just what I have said. That if what your son or daughter was embracing was not the truth, and if it was creating for them angst and pressure, and they the one of the things he has what he has done this guy John Marriott is he has interviewed a whole lot of people that have deconverted their faith and every one of them say that they feel more freedom outside of Christianity than they did inside of Christianity when Jesus said I have come to set you free and so what they were experiencing was not the freedom that Christ came to give them and so I know this is hard to recognize and to realize and to swallow and I don't know what your kid's dealing with, but I know I've seen in my children um, a lot of baggage that they're letting go of that needs to be let go of. And as I'm praying for them, I'm praying that, you know, the wheat and the, sh the sh chaff get separated and that the chaff will go away and that the wheat will remain. And as I'm praying, I'm really trusting and holding tight to what God um, has you know, promises me for my children. So I know it's painful and I know and I want you to know that because it's painful, I have learned that it's not unspiritual or immature of my faith to grieve. I mean, I have to grieve. I love my kids. I mean, you've heard me cry in most of these podcasts that I've done on this subject because it's so near to my heart. It's why I didn't, I talk about everything. I'm like an open book. I'm like Miss Authentic whatever. <laughs> but I haven't talked about this because it's so deeply grieved me. You hear the tears in my heart as I talk now. So I'm, I want to say to you now that it is okay to grieve. But I, I believe that the very most healthy place for us to do our grieving is in the privacy of your own spiritual bedroom. And in that privacy of that intimate place with the Lord, honey, complain to God. Do it like David did. I'm gonna, I want to read you um, out of Psalm chapter 142. Years ago, my very first book on prayer, I, I centered on this Psalm 142. And I read it, this first of it, again tonight. And I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I didn't even have kids when I was writing that. And who knew that it would be so appropriate for now. So this is a Psalm of David. It says, when he was in the cave. And this is what he says. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. Mercy, Lord. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you, Lord, who watches over my way. And in the path where I walk, this is what has happened. People have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there's no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for me. I cry to you, Lord. Okay, here's how this would be translated for us. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift my voice to the Lord. Give me mercy, Lord. I pour out my complaint before you. I'm going to tell you about all my trouble. My spirit grows faint within me. I know that you're with me. I know that you're watching over my way. I know that you are in the path with me where I walk. But in this place... 
my beautiful, precious, well stewarded. I gave them to you from the get go, and I walked with them, and I and I and I reared them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. They have turned away. Look and see. They are, they are following after false gods. They're being scooped up into false religions. And, and I, 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 can't even, I can't even talk about this for fear that they will be wounded or hurt about it. There's, there's no place that I can go. I, you know, and you may even say, I'm so ashamed. I, I'm so, you know, people are going to judge me. I hate it. I hate where I am. I hate, but I, it's not where I am that I hate as much as it is where my children are. And as I watch them, I see all of the pain in their life that could be avoided. And all of the things that we don't get to have that I thought that we would. And the psalmist went on to say, I have no refuge and no one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord, and I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to me, for I'm desperate. I'm in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Would you like to admit that? New age is too strong for me. Hinduism is too strong for me. Wicca and witchcraft is too strong for me. Um... Um, humanism is too strong for me. The pride of life and the tree of good and evil, it is too strong. The knowledge of good and evil is too strong for me. Set me free, Lord, from this prison that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Isn't that a great way to end? Psalm 142. You go and you pray that thing in your privacy of your spiritual bedroom. And let me remind you that God knows it hurts. He understands the losses that you are experiencing. And just like a good marriage partner or best friend, your relationship with him grows deeper and richer in the hard time of this. If you watch, God will send you encouragement along the way. God has done that with me in the form of a friend who... Uh, at the time, we thought we got together because we had one circumstance we were going through that we thought was common. And then in the midst of our connecting through that, um, my daughter, I have two daughters and a son, and one of my daughters is just growing in the Lord and walking with Him and, and doing great. But she came out of an abusive relationship in a season of our lives that I wrote seven books during that season. So it was it was a it was a season. But um, the other daughter, who was headed to be a missionary on the mission field, has now deconstructed her faith, and um, God knew that I would need this friend when that started happening and it has been so sweet to have somebody who shares my heart for my kid like she share I share her heart for her kid and we're able to walk together and there's something very sweet about the fellowship we have that other people who aren't going through what we're going through can't understand and the beauty of it is though that God knew we would need each other and so he put us together and my friend, I'm going to tell you that if you haven't found that yet, God's going to give you somebody or something that will come alongside you and encourage you. He will meet you in this hard time. He'll either stop it. Remember what he did when he got in the storm? He either stood up and stopped it 
or they made their way through it. He either walked on that water or they made their way through it. But God will meet you in the hard. God will meet you in the hard. Now, the best reason to do your grieving in the privacy of your spiritual bedroom is because it moves you out of the line of fire and keeps their deconstruction between them and God rather than them and God and you and you and God and them and it's just too many people in that process. This is the voice of experience speaking to you right now. <laughs> I told you this deconstruction has been going on for several years. And I'm telling you, I did not have the wisdom to do this. I would um, get sucked into conversations with my son and daughter. And many of them would happen late at night. And my mind would be... I mean, they were clever. And it was crazy. And I would allow them because we've always been a very close and unguarded family uh, um, man you talk about being authentic we don't we didn't hide things we shared openly we loved big we had a great time together we just had very strong relationships with each other and so when all this deconstructing began to happen we it felt like a whirlwind a hurricane coming out of um, just terrible places and I didn't have sense just to be quiet or to get away or whatever. I just jumped right into it. <laughs> and I don't know that I ever did any good in that. It was just painful for all of us. So I'm telling you to do your grieving not with your children because they don't really care. Here, I mean, I think they do care, but they don't care enough. To, they're not going to come back to the, to the faith because you're grieving over it. That's the hard truth of it. And you don't need them to because that's not truth. We don't come to Jesus because our mama wants us to. We, we come to Jesus because he calls us to himself and because we enter into a love relationship with him, not because we want to please our mother. So their relationship with God needs to be intensely personal and it needs to be theirs. And that's why you don't need to be arguing with them about their faith. And I would dare say you're not going to be the voice that woos them back. They've heard your voice all their lives. And for the most part, depending on how much pride and arrogance they have, they think they know what you think anyway. And so even if you say one thing, they're going to hear what they think that you said. They're not even going to hear what you're really saying. Does that make sense? But um, because they've heard your voice so much, it's very common to them. And in whatever way they've been hearing it is probably the way they're going to keep hearing it. They're not going to hear anything different from you. That's why we got to pray fervently because we're asking God to bring somebody else in the picture. And let me remind you, my good listeners, if we're praying for God to use another mouthpiece, another child of his in the kingdom to speak truth into the life of our children, then let's line up and be willing to be the mouthpiece to speak truth in somebody else's kids. So be aware of the opportunities that we have to speak truth into other children who will hear it from us because we're not their mama. <laughs> it's the darndest thing, but that's how it works. So um, let's see. I have here their relationship with God needs to be intensely personal. It needs to be there. In fact, if your son or daughter is deconstructing their faith, they had a deconstructible faith. I've mentioned this already. I don't know about you, but I want my kids to have an indestructible faith, and I'm going to trust God to get them there. And he can do, my friends, what we cannot. 
I'm also going to remember that the path to an indestructible faith is really straight. My own faith journey has often taken me to places where I have entertained doubts, where I have questioned things, and I've come out on the other side with a greater understanding and a, and a deeper resolve and a lot more humility. And so every time I've gone through a hard time with my faith, I've come out on the other side um, better, a better child of God. So, while your son or daughter is deconstructing their faith, the way you respond to them will speak volumes. You see, the way that you respond and I respond to our deconstructing kids lets our kids know how much we really believe what we say we believe. If we are fretting, we're losing our mind, we're grieving all the time, we are stuck in a, in a depressive fog because of what they are or are not doing, then we are illustrating to our children what we believe about God and what our relationship with God looks like. Um, do you believe in a God who is infinite in wisdom and power? I mean, it's one thing to say that we do with our minds, but to really believe that with our hearts, then okay, we could say, yes, I believe in a God who is infinite in wisdom and power, but I'm just not certain about how he's loving me right now. How's the, you know, you know, I mean, that's how it feels sometimes, but do you believe I've got, these are the questions I've written down. Do you believe in a God who is infinite in wisdom and power? One who loves you with perfect love. Now think about that. I mean, how much more could God love us? than to send His only Son, His sweet and precious Son, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, three in one. They are, a, they are community oneness. There's so much oneness in the companionship of God that, that he's, he's, um, he's a trinity. I don't even understand it exactly. All I know is that He loves His Son. And His Son is one with Him. And they are aligned and their hearts beat as one. And He sent that one Son whom He loves very much, who was with Him in the beginning, that all things were created in and through, who rules over all things. And He sent that one to come and die in our place. To come take on the penalty of sin. That's how much God loves us. That's how passionate he was. That's how, how willing he was to go after us and bring us to himself. And so if God is infinite in wisdom and power, and if he loves me perfectly, then the next question ought to be easy. Can I trust him with my life and with the lives of my children? Can I trust him? Has God disappointed you or lied to you, abandoned you, or proven to be less than loving to you? Now, I'm not saying that bad things haven't happened. Terrible, bad, horrible things happen all the time to all of us. But in every one of these things, God will love us richly in and through every one of them. In fact, if I'm quite honest and a little bit selfish, I would say, yeah. You know what? God is disappointing me right now. And it seems that he's lying to me. Because he said that if I would rear my children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, then when they're old, they won't depart from it. And I don't want to wait until they're 60 years old. I want them to have never departed from it, if you want to know the truth. 
I wanted I wanted to be able to celebrate this whole season of their young adult life with this intimate connection that comes from our spiritual oneness, you know? And I didn't get to have that. That's the stuff I have to grieve. That's the thing I have to grieve in the bedroom, you know? I had two daughters, and I didn't get to have the experience of really sharing in the excitement of either of their weddings. Like, one didn't even get to have a wedding because we wouldn't let her. Uh, she ran off and whatever. That's neither here nor there. And then the other one was just angry at me the whole time that we were trying to pull all of that off. It turned out beautifully, but it was hard. And um, I grieve that. But the truth is... I believe that God is infinite in wisdom and power. And I know that he proved his love to me on Calvary's Hill when Jesus stretched out his arms and gave his life for mine. And long before my children ever had names, long before I ever knew the name of their father, I yielded my life to him and I gave it to him, trust in him, to, to um, take care of me and to uh, strengthen me and to use me in whatever way he wanted to but it's not a, it's not a slave kind of service it's a it's a dance it's a it's an intimate dance of love and even in my disappointment, there has been a richness and a depth that has developed in my relationship with God. And so even though you may say, yeah, yeah, Leanne, I mean, that all sounds good. But for me, right now, God's disappointing me and he's seemingly lying to me and he's abandoned me and this just stinks. And if that's the way you feel right this minute, then you have the perfect opportunity to hold on tight because what is happening right now is not what is always going to be yea though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for thy rod and thy staff they, they are your presence is with me your rod and your staff they protect me and God is with you right now in the very presence of your enemies I read a blog somewhere that said if it's not good God's not done because he promised you in Romans 8:28 that all things will work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose all the things all the things are working together for good a few weeks ago my daughter Michael gave her testimony on Wednesday night to our group of women at our church and um she shared about I had asked we had been studying all fall my book a woman's guide to hearing God's voice and it's the book that I was going to title women navigating crazy <laughs> and it was a book that I wrote while Michael was in her abusive relationship and having my granddaughter who was also in that relationship and I was writing about how like where is God where is God when we're going through these hard things where is God where was he when um, the disciples were in the boat? You know, where was he when Joseph was in the pit? And I, and I had all these different chapters. And so throughout the study this fall, when the women were reading the book and we were 
gathering together on Wednesday nights, a different woman would share her testimony of where God was during a very dark season of their lives. And so as Michael shared her story, and it was the first time she'd ever shared it, and it was, boy, uh, the apple didn't fall far from the tree because as open and honest and authentic as I am, gum, she just was. She was open and honest too. And in fact, I'll put a link to her story in my blog post that I'll follow this podcast with. So you're going to have to sign up for my email to get the blog, blog blah, 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 blah. <laughs> the blog post so you can get the link so you can hear her testimony. I need to have her on the podcast sometime. That would be good. But anyway, as she was sharing very honestly and openly about this dark season of her life. The way that she shared her story was at, after every point that she was making, she said, and God was there, and she told how he was there. And what struck me as I was listening to her was how I had prayed, and it was a lot of years. It was like eight years. And I had prayed during those years. And in my own personal journey with the Lord, a lot of my time with him was in a real tussle. Because I felt like, just based on what I was able to see, I felt like that God was disappointing me, that he was lying to me, that he had abandoned me, and his very words that he had given me, the promises that I had hung on to, they would heckle me, and it was just, it was ugly. A lot of the times I felt beat up, and and so I wrote books as therapy. <laughs> and um, But as she shared her testimony... And she began to say, this is where God was. And she said, word for word, what was? It was almost word for word what I had been praying for her. And the crazy thing was, I didn't know it. And she didn't really know it until she looked back. But all along the way, God was answering exactly what I was praying. And so somehow, and this is the mystery of it, my friends. This is what prayer is about. God loves us so much that He, by the power of His Holy Spirit, puts into our minds and our hearts exactly what He wants to do. And when we're obedient and we're very sensitive to His Spirit and we yield ourselves to Him and we speak back to Him what it is that He's poured into us, we don't even know that it's Him who's poured it into us. Many times, we're so overwhelmed by the pain of the situation that that's all we're feeling. We're just trying to survive. But when we stay with Him, we hold on tight, and we spill out of our mouths what is in us, then we're delivering back to God what He delivered to us. And that, my friends, is the amazing mystery. It's like inhaling the will of God exhaling the will of God and somehow our human link in that is the powerful cog that makes the whole thing the whole thing happen and then God's releases in the heavenlies the power is released to rush the answers to our prayers so I'm challenging you to hold on tight because if what's going on right now is not good, then God's not done. And he has promised you in Romans 8:28 that all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Please, my friends, use this painful journey we're on. We are parents of people who are deconverting from or, or, or deconverting their faith, who are in deconversion. I can't even think what it is. This is our journey. 
But let's use this very thing to bring glory to God. Let's use this very place to allow our faith to be strengthened. Let's use this very place to find a place to hold on tight to God and allow ourselves to receive whatever way it is that he wants to love us during this season. Oh my goodness, I just realized that my maximum recording time is um, 60 minutes. So I may have to make this um, this particular podcast a part one and a part two because <laughs> I have a few more things to say. But I'd better um, stop right there. I'm going to, so part three of our three part series is going to have an A and a B, and this is going to be A. So, there you go, my friends. I'm going to leave you there. I want you to chew on that. I want you to think about it. I want you to um, know that God will meet you in the hard. And it's in your spiritual bedroom that you can grieve, you can be honest with Him, and you can allow God to help you see how you're going to make it through. I'm going to wrap this up right now. Y'all be sure to listen again when we get um, part B of the third part of this three-part series done. You take care, my beautiful praying people. Come see the blog. I'll try to put a link with our notes here. All right. Thanks so much.